All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. Uh, so we've got Justin Dobbs with us. How are you doing, Justin? Doing well, thank God. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to see you. And Scott Smelser, how are you, Scott? Doing good. Good. All right. Uh, so for this week, uh, we're going to go back into the Gospel of Mark. And we made it about halfway through Mark chapter 10. So we're ready to pick up in verse 17. Uh, do one of you guys want to get us started with that reading there? Yeah, I can read that. You just want me to read through verse uh, verse 22 to begin with, or you mean read down through 31? Yeah, pro probably through 22 would be good. That's kind of a natural break. So, All right. Mark 10, 17 through 22. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. All right, so this is just kind of the introduction, at least, to this story. It's probably helpful to, to read the next part, but we can at least talk about a few things here. Um, the first thing that's really kind of stands out to me is the initial conversation that this young man and Jesus have. Uh, the, the young man runs up to Jesus, and he calls him good, and he asks him, he asks him a really good question. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Which, if you're going to go to anybody to ask about eternal life, going to Jesus is the, the person you need to go to. Uh, he's the one that certainly has the answer and knows how to uh, get us eternal life. That was his mission coming here. But Jesus really focuses in, at least at first, on him calling him good. And he has a really kind of interesting response. What do you guys make of Jesus' response in verse 18? Why does he say that? What was he trying to get at? Well, elsewhere, of course, Jesus is, we're told Jesus is without sin, and he identifies himself as the good shepherd the good physician, so Jesus is good. Uh, it may be that he's asking why this fellow would say that. It, I find it interesting too, um, Jesus's response, uh, you know, no one is good but God. And some might have taken this to, to mean that Jesus is, is claiming not to be God. Um, but he's not he's not refuting uh, the idea that he is good, but he's saying, look, only God is good. And so it kind of fits with what we saw earlier in Mark 2, where Jesus forgives sins. And they say, who can forgive sins? But uh, uh, this man's blaspheming and that he proves that he's mm -hmm. forgiven sins. Um, so he's kind of, I think, pushing this man a little further, maybe pushing the disciples around him to consider what does it mean that Jesus is good? Mm -hmm. uh, if he's true, good, uh, unlike any other man can be, uh, then, then who is good but God? And so maybe this guy is more than just a man. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of a, a little bit of a roundabout way of getting the man and maybe the bystanders to think more deeply about who Jesus is. Um, you know, Jesus could just straight come out and say, I am God. Um, but he, he wants people to kind of connect the dots, think more deeply about who he is and, and that he does have the ability to grant eternal life, can answer this question adequately. 
Um, but af regardless, after he says that to the man, he answers his second or his question. The man asks, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, what, what, what advice does he give him? At least starting out. Well, he asks him what the yeah. commandments are and tells him to keep the commandments. Yeah. Uh, obey, <laughs> right? Do what you're told. Follow God's commandments. Follow his law. And, and you'll get the benefits, you'll get the rewards, which is how God has always been. Even at the beginning, back to uh, his original covenant with his people uh, in Deuteronomy, where he's talking about the blessings and the cursings. He says, if you obey the commandments that have been given to you, then you'll be blessed. You'll live long in the land. You'll have a prosperous life. Things will go really well. And if you ignore the commandments, then you'll be cursed. You'll be thrown out of the land. You won't have it, have it well. Go ahead, Scott. And there's a point here to consider on the subject of works and grace. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not saying by doing the commandments, you bring yourself redemption or atonement because you don't. In fact, later when the apostles are going to ask the question, then who can be saved? Jesus's answer is what? With men, With men it's impossible. It's impossible. But consequentially, if you want eternal life, and you refuse to obey God's commandments, you're not going to get what you want. Because mm -hmm. Hebrews 5 9, Jesus is the source of salvation to those that obey him. John chapter 10, he's the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep, and his sheep are the ones that hear his voice and follow him. Uh, and when he comes and divides the sheep from the goats, if you wouldn't give any hungry brother food or a coat, or, or water, you don't get eternal life. You get eternal damnation. So the consequences here, the, the, the point here is not redemption. The, the issue here is if you want eternal life, you do need to keep the commandments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Jesus also connects keeping the commandments to having a relationship with him. If you want to have a full relationship with Jesus, you need to keep the commandments. He says that in John 14, yeah. if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Yeah. You'll, you, you'll listen to what I say if you actually do care about me and, and love me and want me to be your master. So, so it's vital, but it doesn't save us. And, and Scott, you've used this before, and I think this is really helpful. Romans chapter three is a really helpful chapter to understand okay. that balance. If you don't keep the commandments, you're not going to be saved, but keeping the commandments don't save you. It's right. Jesus's blood that saves right. us, his sacrifice that saves us. So right. Justin, you were going to say something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to make of this, uh, but, but Jesus, I know where he's going. You know, in verse um, 21, he's going to tell him to go and say everything he has before uh, come and follow him. It's interesting in in these commandments, uh, all these commandments are uh, uh, they're, they're they're focused on man. Uh, they're not focused on God. Like the second half of the Ten Commandments, you get those that are. Uh, you shall not build a God for me. Uh, you shall not make any great images. Keeping the Sabbath. Those those are God focused commandments. These are all human related commandments. Uh, when Jesus is going to get to telling him to to sell his possessions, we might think that 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 instruction is uh, human related too, because he says to give to the poor. Mm -hmm. But I, I think what he's getting at is he's he's pretty good at looking around. And doing good things, but he he has a different God. He's focused on his wealth, on his money. He's treating that as his God. He has great images, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe Jesus um, is holding that point 
to last. Uh, and he doesn't do it as kind of an I gotcha. Uh, what he does in verse 21 is he looks at him and loves him. Mm-hmm. And because Jesus loves him, he's willing to tell him the one thing he knows is going to make him turn away. Uh, yeah. Which is hard. Uh, Jesus loves us enough to tell us the things we don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and verse verse 20, I think, is really important in understanding the next section, too, where Jesus tells him, like, you know the commandments, do all this. And the guy says, I've done all of that. <laughs> um, and what I find really interesting about this story is Jesus doesn't say, like, no, you haven't, <laughs> or, or like call him out on that. He he looks at him with compassion, looks at him with love, and he says, You're missing, you're missing one thing. And the one thing that he's missing, maybe we could say, is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's not willing to love God more than his stuff. Um, and that gets back to like what Justin said. Uh, you know, he, he has a different God. He has a different master of his life. And Jesus realizes that he sees that and tells him, if you want eternal life, you have to give up your other master. Uh, you, you can't serve two masters. Um, but aside from that, which you might think, wow, that's just one thing. <laughs> you know, if, if I was missing one thing, that's pretty good. And I think that's what the disciples are thinking too. Um, like when this guy rolls up and Jesus doesn't start rebuking him for saying, I've kept all of the commandments since my youth. They're like, wow, like, this guy's pretty impressive, but then he, Jesus turns him away and then he and he leaves uh, after hearing what Jesus's instructions are. So, Scott, uh, were you gonna say something? I was, but I was listening and forgot what I was gonna say. So go ahead. <laughs> That's all right. Go ahead, Justin. Um, well, no, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, two two quick points. Um, one, we we might uh, might take warning here. Um, I'm reminded of what. Proverbs says in chapter 30 about, you know, uh, these, these two things I ask for God that God give me riches or give me poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we're probably more inclined to pray for that second one. You know, don't, don't give me poverty. Uh, you know, give me the things that I, uh, and we usually don't ask for sufficient for the day, you know, or it's, it's more like, you know, take care of this and that, and this and that. We're looking well beyond the horizon. We're asking God to take care of us. Uh, but there are dangers that come with wealth. And, and this man is a, a great example of that. Uh, we're easily distracted, but probably more easily uh, ensnared by our fleshly desires than, than we think. Uh, and it's just easy to get wrapped up in those things. That's one thing. But the second thing comes from a, uh, from a story uh, of a guy. Um, uh, some, of, some of you know Dan Kane. Uh, he and I were in, in Boston, Massachusetts together. And he had a study for about a year with a homeless guy and um, the guy was coming to bible studies he was coming to, to worship with us on sunday uh i think he came to our home a couple of times I and mean, he's just he was really getting involved with the christians uh heavily involved with bible study dan was meeting him one-on-one and finally um dan uh kind of pushed him to the point like you know when are you gonna when, when are you gonna decide to follow jesus yourself like you're, you're interested in these studies, you're interested in these bits of evidence, that's great, but like, you need to repent, you need to turn to the Lord. And he just, he said, look, no, I, I can't follow Jesus because it would cost me too much to follow mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Dan was telling me about that private conversation and he said he was the rich young ruler. Uh, you don't have to have earthly wealth, uh, a lot of physical uh, material possessions in order to fit th- this category, this guy. Uh, he just saw that to leave everything behind and choose to follow God above all else was was too big of a price for him to pay. Uh, and that's sad. 
but I think we, we all can can find ourselves there. What's the one thing that I don't want to give up in order to follow Jesus? Um, mm-hmm. We each can change that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe it's also important to just kind of balance this to just to understand what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. Jesus is not saying that the answer for everyone in order to get eternal life and come to come to him that everyone you need to give up all of your possessions, give it all to the poor and go and follow Jesus, like literally sell everything that you own. Maybe a good way to make that point is to look over at Luke um, and kind of his parallel of this, where Jesus has this interaction with the rich young man. And then the very next chapter in Luke 19, he meets another rich guy named Zacchaeus. And Jesus doesn't tell Zacchaeus, you need to sell all of your stuff and come and follow me. And I think the reason why is because Zacchaeus doesn't have that problem. Zacchaeus willingly gives his stuff away to help the poor and follows Jesus. Um, so so there's this difference of, in heart and mentality and master and that sort of thing. And Zacchaeus has it figured out in his heart. He understands my wealth is not important. I'll give it up. Um, but the, the rich young ruler here doesn't. Scott. Yeah. And two things that that highlights or it helps highlight one way or the other is that Jesus can read people's hearts and thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, when the apostles are arguing about who's the greatest and to get to where Jesus is, he goes, yeah, what were you talking about? He knows. Um, yeah. he, he, when Simon the Pharisee is saying to himself, well, obviously he's not a prophet because if he knew what kind of woman there, he says, Simon, I've got any text says, Jesus answered him. Mm-hmm. So he knows what's in our hearts and minds. And he looked at him, and Mark is this the author that points out, loved him and mm-hmm. said this. And so this highlights the same principle in Luke chapter 14, mm-hmm. starting in verse 25 to 33. If you're not willing to put the Lord first, you, you're, you're wasting your time. You can't be a disciple. Mm-hmm. If you love your parents more than God, and you're going to follow them instead of God, put them in front of God, you can't be his disciple. If you love your wife or children or your life more than God, you can't be my disciple. And if you looked at the three of us, and if he said, Justin, you've got to give up coffee shops. Uh, Jonathan, you've got to give up board games. Scott, you've got to give up going to the gym. If any of the three of us said, no, that, that's more important than you. There'd be one thing that we lacked, but it's a big, big, big thing that we lacked. Mm-hmm. Because neither of those things, nor this fellow's money, was more important than the Lord. Yep. Yep. That's right. It gets to the question of why we do the things that we do. Why, why we keep God's laws. Are we keeping them because we really love God and we want to please him? Or are we doing it because we just happen to agree with him? And a lot of us just happens to align with our I don't really want to commit adultery. I don't really want to murder anybody most of the time. Um, you know, and I'm fine not stealing people's stuff. But there's one thing, you know, that I just I have a hard time letting go of. Well, that's where I, I really get to demonstrate that I love God. And God asked that. Like that's all he's asking. Uh, you look back at uh, the Garden of Eden. You know, there was one thing they couldn't do, uh, and that's where the, the test lies. Or with uh, Abraham, you know, here's here's the one thing I'm asking of you, Abraham. It's one small thing. It's your son, your only son, uh, but I want him. And so it's it's in those those little choices. We might be able to say, but look at all this good stuff I'm doing. God says, yeah, but 
but you're wrapped up in that one thing and that I want you. I don't want just that thing. I want you as long as you're wrapped up in that and I don't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to that story that you shared about that, that guy in Boston, um, his response was, I can't follow Jesus because it would cost me too much. Um, in a way, his response, his response is sad, but it's correct. It does cost a lot to follow Jesus. Uh, and Jesus makes that point a number of times in his ministry when crowds would come to him, he would point out, are you sure? <laughs> you know, because this is what it's going to mean. It's going to cost you a lot. But Jesus will also make the point that while it costs a lot to follow him, it's worth it to pay that cost. And I like how he says it in, in Luke chapter 9, where he says that you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me in verse 23. And he goes on to say in verse 24, whoever would uh, save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Then verse 25 is a good question for us to think about. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses and forfeits himself? Um, you'll, you'll lose your eternal life if you want to hold on to something else. But if you just let go and follow Jesus, you'll gain eternal life. So it, it might be costly, but which one is actually more costly? Uh, and if you look at the, the long-term view, it's more costly to choose to not follow Jesus than it is to choose to hold on to your temporary life here. Um, so, But um, this, this man that Jesus interacts with here, uh, he is, in verse 22 of Mark 10, disheartened, and he goes away because he doesn't want to give up his possessions. And that takes us to the second half of the story where the disciples are kind of watching this interaction. They see this man walk away. And they're they're really disheartened now because this guy seemed really good. He's only missing one thing, but he's not going to make it. Uh, and so in verse 23 of Mark 10, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when they and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but with but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there will be no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake or for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So uh, so this guy walks away and Jesus doubles down on, on what he said on the interaction. Um, man, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really difficult for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why does Jesus say that? Why does he say it's difficult for w- people with wealth to enter the kingdom of God? I don't, I don't like to believe it, but he says it because it's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there are some inherent dangers with, with wealth. First God. Corinthians chapter 1 says that not many of the wise, the mighty, the noble of the world. Uh, might not have quoted it quite well, but you get the idea. doesn't mean there weren't any, but a lot of the Christians would have been slaves. A lot of them would have been poor. You have some exceptions. You have Erastus, who was like the treasurer or city manager of the capital city of Greece, Corinth. Um, you've got uh, Menean, who was raised up with King Herod. But in general, that's not who responds to the gospel. 
Um, the prodigal son doesn't realize his need for his father and the respect for his father while he's partying on the money. Mm -hmm. He realizes it when he is humbled. Mm -hmm. And when we are doing well financially, it is easy for us. It, it creates pride and self-satisfaction and contentment that tends not to draw us towards God and makes us see ourselves as our own provider, mm -hmm. large percentage. Yeah. And on that note, uh, just just so um, the listeners don't think we're just making our own observations here, that is that is the case that we often see throughout the Bible story. Um, you see Israel becoming strong, prosperous, and wealthy, and they forget God. Uh, Ezekiel sixteen tells uh, Ezekiel sixteen tells the story of a woman uh, that God loved. You know, kind of pictures Judah as this bride. And, and beautiful and renowned, uh, and everyone loved her, flocked to her. And she, Proverbs 18 and verse 11 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. And so we, we tend to think that we've got strength, that we've got the ability. If I get sick, I can pay for good doctors. If, uh, if I'm hungry, I buy the food that I want. If my car breaks down, I can take care of myself. Uh, I, I can handle my life myself i don't really need god uh, and jesus says blessed are the poor <laughs> to get into the mindset where we are desperate uh, we are beggars before god we, we need him mm -hmm. yeah yeah so jesus says it's going to be really difficult if you have wealth because that's going to be one more thing that gets in the way between of in between of you and god and following god so it'll be challenging to enter god's kingdom with wealth and he even goes so far as to say it'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle uh, just to put a picture with it. Um, you have this massive animal going through a very tiny opening. It'd be easier for that than for a rich man to enter God's kingdom. And the disciples, I think, have the response that I would have had if I was there. If that's true, who's going to make it? Um, Jesus says, by yourself, no one. Uh, it's impossible by yourself. But not with God. With God, all things are possible. Go ahead, Justin. Well, I just throw it out there uh, because I hear it a lot. Um, have you heard the explanation that um, the eye of the needle, if that was a gate in mm -hmm. Jerusalem, that rich man would have his camel all laid up with all this stuff and to get through the gate? Mm -hmm. Scott, you're shaking your head. Want to help us out with that one? Um, you <laughs> Scott? Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard that explanation before that oh, yes. the eye of the needle was a Jerusalem? Um, do you want to uh, address that one? Sure, sure. Uh, I, I don't think there's any record at all of that. I think that's a concoction speculated to try to fit this story. Mm -hmm. uh, we know about different gates and entry gates uh, of Jerusalem. And I've never seen one called that in any historical record. Mm -hmm. uh, and besides, the point is this man loved his riches. Um, it's not like it, Jesus is just making a point here. It's a lot like um, he does in Matthew 23. You're straining out the night 
not gnat and swallowing the camel. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't need to try to interpret that they had a certain drink that they <laughs> the camel, you know, that was gnat free. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, making point. This is this is not going to work. You can't, can't put money for God. Yeah. yeah. The, the idea is it's impossible. Um, yeah. you know, one of my children's like, Dad, you could you could grind up the camel and you could like <laughs> the, the eye like sauce like no. Um, yes. <laughs> and, uh, but that just brings a picture. Like even if you were to do that, <laughs> and this is ridiculous, I know. But I'm talking to an eleven year old. He's like, even if you were to do that, like how long would that take you to feed camel sausage to the eye of a needle? Uh, and so his disciples are just like, there's no way. Like if if the rich can't do it, um, which which may, you know, in a serious note, uh, it may get at the Jewish idea that if you were wealthy, it was because you were blessed by God. And so if they're supremely blessed by God, like Job, like Abraham, uh, you know, couldn't get into the kingdom of heaven, uh, then what about the poor people who are obviously cursed by God or not blessed by God. And of course, Jesus' teaching confronts that left and right. Mm -hmm. uh, he's often spending time with the poor. Uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, it's, it's not the, the physical wealth that matters here. The, the disciples share this idea. So you're saying that people who just have all of these God-given benefits can't make it on their own. Jesus is saying, yeah, it's impossible. Uh, no matter how much you got it's impossible. It's impossible. You need God's help. Mm -hmm. It's interesting too that he uses camel both times. <laughs> He's go to yeah. exaggerated animal. Yeah. It's a big animal. Camel's yeah. a big animal. There you go. They didn't have it. They didn't have a Justin, did you ride a camel? Uh, yeah, when I was in Egypt and Jordan uh yeah. a few months back, I, I declined the camel ride just because uh -huh. it seemed like the touristy thing to do. And they'll let you <laughs> up. But to get down, you've got to pay. So I just said, you know. <laughs> Keep you trapped there. That's a good way to get money, I guess. Uh, so anyway, so so Jesus says it's it's hard, it's difficult, it's impossible without God. And then Peter pipes up in verse 28 and he says, well, Jesus, you said that that you have to give up your possessions in order to inherit the kingdom of God. We did that. You know, we we left everything and followed you. And then Jesus says, that's great. And, and here's the thing. If you do that, if anybody, if you give up your possessions, your home, your family, whatever, for Jesus' sake and for the sake of the gospel, he says kind of two things. First, if you do that, you'll get a hundredfold back now in this time. What does he mean by that in verse 30? Like if you give up your possessions, give up your family, that you'll get a hundredfold in this time. Let's take a reference uh, to Paul. Um, Paul, we know, had some relatives that were in Christ before him. Mm -hmm. Some of those were in Rome, more than one. Uh, probably some of his family didn't. And so there was probably would have been some strife with some relatives before and some relatives after. But then there's also a woman in Rome that he addresses as his mother, which apparently isn't his evidence would lean against it being his biological mother, but you know, uh, I remember the wonderful Christian lady was like mom away from mom to a whole bunch of us when we were in college. Mm -hmm. 
just a wonderful godly woman who took us in you know fed us home-cooked sunday dinners let us come over for singings gave us advice and a word to the wise when we needed it and just think of the brethren that you have around the world uh timothy has paul as a father figure uh paul has this other one as a mother figure uh and then we've got all these brethren uh and sometimes your own physical family may reject you mm-hmm. but look at the worldwide family of god we gave mm-hmm. yeah so jesus is really saying if you give up your physical family you're not family-less right. to come and follow jesus you you have a family you have jesus's family his brothers and sisters uh any any brethren become your family and become a stronger family um because there's this common united bond in christ and in building each other up helping each other to attain to eternal life and in that family, I think you've got the example of Acts in Acts chapters two through four, when the Christians are suffering physically, there's not one of them that's in need because they're all sharing their possessions. They're having all in common. That's something that, that Christians do, that the Christian family does, share with one another, help one another, bear each other's burdens, both physically, but also maybe mentally, emotionally. There's this kind of community that you're brought into in Christ's, in Christ's life uh, and in his body that is so much better than than you know physical families now sometimes you'll be blessed and have both your physical family and christ's family kind of overlap yeah that's not always the case um but if that's not the case you still have christ's family and that's what he says first if you follow me you'll get a family in this in this life you'll have a family um go ahead scott and how many times have we heard people say that they are they feel so much closer to their spiritual family than to their physical family if their physical family are, are rejecting God and sometimes rejecting them as well. Mm-hmm. So the blood of Christ is more important than the blood of clan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so he says that's kind of part one. If you give up your stuff, you'll have blessings in this life. But then even better than that, you'll have in the age to come, eternal life. <laughs> so you, you get a family here, you get help here, but more importantly, you get eternal life if you give up all of your possessions here and come and follow Jesus. But Mark also includes an important note. Um, he says that while you'll get those blessings in this life, you'll also inherit persecutions, um, which is what Jesus went through. Uh, you'll have all of this a hundredfold blessings, but that doesn't mean all of your problems will go away. Um, that doesn't mean that it'll be smooth sailing for the rest of your life. You'll go through through hardship. You'll go through rejection. You'll go through persecution. You'll go through temptation or trials or whatever. But it will be worth it when you get to the end and have eternal life. So I like how I like how Mark presents what Jesus says here. It, it hits all sides of the coin. You get you get the best outcome um, that you could possibly get if you give up your possessions or your family and come and follow Jesus. So uh, that's through thirty one. You guys got anything else you want to say about that? Just, just kind of tack on to that. Uh, I, I like the idea that Jesus talks about the the immediate benefits of following Him. Uh, sometimes we get the idea that following Christ is all about you know what I'm going to receive later, uh, and and primarily if that's true. But uh, there are some some real benefits to serving Christ. Now it reminds me of what Paul says later in First Timothy four, yeah. mm-hmm. verse talks about bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 
Yeah. Uh, we might think, well, I'm just investing in hell. Yeah, but did you know that following God is actually really good for your life now? Mm-hmm. Did you know that doing it Christ's way is the best way for you to live your life? Um, and, and so it's, uh, it, it quickly becomes not that big of a sacrifice when you realize, well, I'm giving up all these things. Yeah, but look at what God is giving to you in yeah. response. You can't outgive God. Uh, there, there are immediate benefits to serving Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those immediate benefits, I like um, how Solomon kind of talks about it in Ecclesiastes where he's comparing wisdom with foolishness. And he says that wisdom is better, just like light is better than darkness. Uh, if, if you're walking whenever the lights are on, you're not going to bump into stuff. Uh, you, you won't you know, hit your shins on the coffee table or whatever because you can see. And it's the same thing. If you're living a godly life, you won't have all these self-inflicted problems um, you, uh, that, that you know, worldly, worldliness has to deal with. Um, now, that doesn't mean you won't have any problems. We still live in a broken world that is, is going to be hard. We're going to have to go through difficult things. But if you're living a godly life, you're not going to get drunk and, and have to deal with hangovers and have to deal with even worse things, uh, you know, killing someone while you're drunk driving or something like that. Um, you you want to have to, you know, constantly keep track of all the lies that you're telling because you're going to be honest. Uh, so you're not going to be stressed out and, and running like the Proverbs say that the fool runs when no one is chasing well, you don't have to run when no one is chasing if you're living godly. It's it's so much more peaceful and less stressful to live a godly life. So there there are immediate benefits. God's God. Yeah. Uh, Psalm 34 is quoted in 1 Peter 3. If you would love life and see good days, refrain your tongue from evil, speak no guile, no deceit, mm-hmm. you know, seek peace, pursue it, you know, do what's good. And most people are going to respect that. Now it goes on to say, you know, point out that some won't. Uh, and it, it, the Bible makes clear we're going to suffer, but there's, there's suffering that everybody is going to face, whether you're a believer or not. There's suffering that you'll face if you're an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. There's suffering that you'll face if you're a believer. But there's all these wonderful, wonderful blessings that come. Um, and eternal life. So you get all these great blessings and in the world to come eternal life. And it's profitable for the life that now is and to come. We just got a question coming. Yeah, so the question came in. Um, Peterson asked, how do we navigate a family who is denominational Christians but still open to study with you? Um, you guys want to give some pointers on that? Yeah, get them into the word. Uh, whenever you're studying with somebody, it's good to start where you have common ground. And with different people, common ground will be on different levels. That's why when Paul gets to a synagogue, he always starts where? With the law. Jewish history, you know, the uh, events in the Torah, uh, you know, Abraham, the prophets, etc. Because that's where they are. And then he leads to Christ. When he's at Mars Hill talking to pagans, doesn't quote Hebrew scripture, he starts with their altar to an unknown God in the midst of all these other gods. He says, this is the one I'm going to tell you about. He's the one that created everything. And he'll eventually get to Jesus, of course, in his lesson there too. Um, so if you have friends that are wrapped up in denominationalism, um, if they belong to a denomination that denies scripture, that doesn't accept anything supernatural, that doesn't accept the resurrection of Christ or anything else, 
then you need to go over those things. Don't start as if you're on the same page there, but you're not. Mm -hmm. A lot of mainline denominations are like that. But if they belong to a denomination that is, you know, says, yeah, the Bible's the word of God and Jesus rose from the dead, etc., then start into the word. Get into the word and study with them. Uh, and the more they get into the word, the more that they're going, the, the more the lights are going to come on. Uh, and you can, you know, sometimes pick a book that'll be more helpful and make a point out of a chapter. But as you go through bit by bit, the more they get knowledgeable about the word, the more that the denominational uh, structure starts undermining. I'm about to be studying with a good friend of mine uh, as a minister in a denominational church. And we've been studying for a good while now, and he's already seen through the basis of their theology, and he said we were misled. And he's learning more and more. But, you know, we just keep getting into the Word, and uh, that's where people need to learn from. It's important if we approach them as if you need to listen to me, that's not going to be very effective because we're not the authority. But if you approach them, we all need to listen to the Lord because we're all sinners and we all need his grace. And we all need to be his, all his servants, so we all need to obey him. Mm -hmm. Let's look at what he says and keep the focus on his word. Yeah. Yeah, that's essentially what Paul says in Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Um, that's where our faith needs to be based in. So, yeah. there's another. Uh, I guess Second Timothy two, uh, where Paul gives Timothy uh, counsel and how to deal with that. Uh, he says in Second Timothy two twenty four, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, mm -hmm. able to teach, patient evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Um, and in my Bible, I've drawn a, a line right there because that's all I can do. Uh, the rest is God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Um, I, I, think, I think we would do well in teaching anyone, but especially family where emotions can be wrapped up in it, things are personal. We tend to bring a lot of our history with us, whether we like it or not. They still think of us, perhaps, as I used to be 10 years ago, uh, instead of who I am right now. And if we can approach them with gentleness, kind of the way you would a wild animal caught in a snare. You know, they've been captured by the devil to do his will. And if I find a, a fox caught in a trap or something in the woods, I just come up and start like, hey, you know, let me help you out today and just, you know, go grabbing at the fox. Uh, I'm going to get bit. It's probably going to do more harm to the fox. Uh, so he's going to try to get away. Uh, he's going to hurt himself. We need to be gentle and be thoughtful. And the real enemy is that trap, not the fox. Oh, yeah. Um, and so when I'm, when I'm talking with people who believe differently than I do, yes, to some extent, they are contrary to Christ. Um, but like, for example, if I'm studying with someone who's uh, a Jehovah's Witness, you know, I, I keep bringing it back to the Watchtower Society teaches, the Watchtower Society teaches. And I try to get on their side and say, look, the Watchtower Society has deceived you. And it's not, hey, you're trying to deceive me. 
you're trying to push this false doctrine. I, I, it's the Watchtower Society is pushing this false doctrine. And so if I can make it less about me against them and more about uh, let, let's get on the same page with Christ and his word yeah. Yeah. and go against this false teaching of the devil, yeah. uh, then, then it's less about me uh, trying to win uh, an argument with them or them afraid to lose an argument with me. I don't want to get them in that situation where they feel like they're going to lose against me. I want them to feel like I'm going to win by getting on Christ's side. Mm -hmm. Let me say something, too, that is really important, and I've tried to do better about this. It is super, super tempting as us as teachers to try to show people what the scripture is saying and what it means. It is much more effective when they see it themselves. Mm -hmm. So take them to a scripture that's going to help them. But if I take them to the scripture and I say, all right, turn and look at this passage. All right, now we're reading this. We're, you see it? You see it right there? That says that? That says that? Not nearly as effective as letting them read the text. Mm -hmm. Asking them, you know, what does that say? Mm -hmm. When they see it themselves, right? if, if you're being, if somebody's trying to convince you of something else, maybe to change your insurance policy or something else. And they're saying, see here, your insurance policy here, it doesn't have this feature and this feature, but this one over here does. You see the difference you need to change. Do you feel real convinced? Mm -hmm. no. no, but if they lay it out and they say, take a look at this, what do you see? And you look at it and you say, oh, I'm, my premium's a lot more and I'm getting less coverage. Wait, this premium has better coverage and a lower premium. It's a better rated company. I need to switch. That's a fellow that's convinced. So. That's, that's also helpful in not developing kind of a bad habit in people of them always like needing somebody to spoon feed them. Um, but helping them to mature in Christ, to actually learn what Christ's message is and, and be able to study and understand for themselves. Um, and that's what Jesus often did. Sometimes Jesus would be very blunt and direct with people, but more times than not, he would ask them a question that made them think and yeah. analyze themselves. Um, and that's so much more effective. Jesus taught with questions a lot, and it's a little slower. And we're sitting there, you know, like a kid with an ice cream cone and we're wanting to cram it in as quick as possible. <laughs> it's slow down, let them see it. Mm -hmm. Well, good. Well, thanks for that question, Peterson. Hope that's helpful. Um, we're pretty much out of time. So do you guys have anything else you want to say about what we talked about in Mark 10 before we start wrapping up? All right, cool. Well, thank you guys for your discussion. Thank you to our audience for tuning in with us today and our program. If you have another, any other further questions that you'd like us to discuss here at BibleQuest, you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv, and we'll be happy to talk about what you would like us to talk about in our future programs. But that's all that we have for this week, and so we'll plan on seeing everyone next week, Lord willing.